This is a pot star production. What do you mean? Why is it not good? Hold on. Do you have a tat? Yeah, I got some work done. I've been busy, bro. Jesus Christ. Shit's hard, right? Look at it. Mm. Oh, shit. Let me see. Pull up your sleeve. Keep going. My shoulder hurts. <laughs> like it's like a it's like a lymphedema thing. That is sick though. What are you talking about? You're so full of shit because you about two weeks ago you wouldn't have got one. Now you got a sleeve. Dude, the show's changing him. I love it. How long did that take? Like eighteen Was hours. Eighteen hours in the chair. Or eighteen hours shipping. <laughs> exactly. Overnight shipping on. Uh, on uh, Amazon, but it looks good. That it, it does look sweet. No, <laughs> no, seriously, pull that thing up. Is that a lymphedema thing? Oh yeah, it's a... <laughs> exactly. It is sick though. What I had to, uh, I I sent it over to him. That was my my <laughs> gift to him that I sent the other day. <laughs> that is so funny. I'm wearing yeah, the I'm shit. I was saying you're gonna do an OR everywhere. Like <laughs> I'm gonna wear it. <laughs> Gonna get a lot of dough. Anything is possible. Turn me up in the headphone. Yeah. Gonna get a lot of dough and dirt the water obstacles. Cause anything is possible. Yeah. Oh man, I got a lot of gold. Stack that bread and vomit nose. Anything is possible. Yeah. What's up, everybody? Back at it again. We're here on I'm a Pod Star, Not a Doctor, where you can just chill with us and maybe accidentally learn some shit because we sometimes talk about educated topics. Uh, it's your boy, Cuff Daddy, and my co-host. The American Pharaoh, and he's absolutely right. Sometimes we actually do say stuff that is educational, so listen carefully so you don't miss it. <laughs> I I just like the I like the mindless banter that we do. Like, do we have to like teach people stuff? I feel like there's a podcast for that where you could just go learn. No, I I think what ours is is really about us, like as physicians and the <clears throat> human side of us. And you know, I I listened. I was flipping through Instagram and I saw some from some of the other ones, and they're great. But at the same time, I don't always need to be talking orthopedics i i want to be a human and i think this is a way to humanize us and i and it for all intents and purposes i enjoy having these regular conversations with you yeah just like normal people shit like you know because we're normal people and, and things happen to us i know sometimes i'm i i, I think i'm a superhero <laughs> but we're regular people and shit happens to us just like everybody else Totally. I mean, I think that's exactly it. It's if you and I go grab a beer, we know what we do on the daily. We know what we did in the OR. So if you say, Hey, I did like four total shoulders. I'll be like, all right, cool. It, it's, I'm not going to think twice about that conversation because I know what you did. You don't need to explain it to me. But if you say, Hey, you know what's going on in my life right now? Blah, blah, blah. Kids, college. I mean, that's the shit we're going to talk about. We're not going to talk about the, the, that stuff about work. Yeah, people for, people forget that, like, you know, sometimes you can go through some real shit, you know? Like, I mean, we just, like, went through a big thing, you know, right? We left our, our jobs and, 
changed our lives and got a new practice and like that takes fucking balls and you know it's it's super anxiety provoking you know so sometimes you're kind of up and sometimes you're kind of down but mostly up but it's very it's a stressful situation right i mean it wasn't too bad but like you're still kind of going through something did you kind of go through some of that or no yeah i mean mine was a little bit different because i just felt like i needed a change and i actually quit my job without a new one so that was, you know, stupid, ballsy, whatever, who knows, but I did it. And at that point I was on the clock and I had to figure out what to do. And I came remarkably close to signing a contract in New York city. And I had pen in hand paper on, on desk. And it was one of my reps who called me and he said, Hey, I think there's a space that you can rent to start off if you want to start your own practice. And I, I was like, you know, I just, I don't want to start from scratch, but turns out it was the greatest decision I ever made. And it was call number 2,343 of trying to find something. And it was the one, but like you said, tons of anxiety, but those were self-imposed. We chose to make those changes. Uh, you know, and that's, that's something that we have to make that decision. It wasn't thrown upon us and says, okay, now figure it out. Like if you got sick or something like that. Yeah. I mean like, yeah, so you can't get sick. I mean, that's why I do my whole shtick and I try to stay, stay pretty healthy. That's like the one thing I get scared of is like, is getting sick. Cause you know, you need someone else to take care of you at this point. Like, you know, what do you do with work? You can't go to work. You got patients and you're sick, right? So, I mean, you can only do so much though, right? You're not like bulletproof. Like, I think I had like a little like cold the other day and like, I never get sick, you know, but that kind of like threw me out for a day or two and, you know, and then you got to keep working out, keep eating healthy, keep drinking water. And then it kind of goes away, but luckily it's kind of self-limited, right? Right. And I mean, if, if you had a, full-blown man cold that would be a problem you know <laughs> that's usually what i get <laughs> no but yeah it's but you're right i mean and and women think about it they get pregnant like what happens during pregnancy and you know what happens to your patients and how do you time that how do you figure that out but these are all these huge decisions because all of us like you said when we started you feel like superman or and you, you feel like a superhero and you want to be there for your family. You want to be there for yourself. You want to be there for your dogs. You want to be there then most importantly for your patients. And those, every one of those people rely on you. And yes, we might have 3000 patients, but each one of those patients think you're the only one yeah. and you are the only one, but what do you do? It's it. That's the thing that is, is crazy about these situations. Yeah. I mean, you can only do like, you can only do so much, dude. I mean, I work out every single day, you know, try to eat healthy and then, you know, but even going to the dentist, like takes some time off work and you're kind of like, Oh, do I need to go to the dentist? But you don't want to wait until it's like, you need a root canal and then you got all these appointments and you got to miss work and, you know, like screenings, uh, you know, like it's important. Like I already got a freaking colonoscopy, dude. I'm only 42. And everyone's like, well, why'd you get it so young? I was like, well, I wanted to catch it. Like just in case I don't want to fuck around. <laughs> so I, I checked, you know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. Honestly, I had a colonoscopy. I want to say like in my early forties and I'm due for one. And I've, I was supposed to do it last month and I canceled it twice just because they were <clears throat> delivering my x-ray machine and they were doing this. And so it's, it's, I put my own health on the line so that I can get everything going. But 
you know, funny story about that. They, you know, I went in, did the whole prep, which wasn't as bad as I thought. And then I woke up uh, when they did the colonoscopy and I hadn't slept that well in so long. So I, my first response to the CRNA, I woke up and she looked at me. She goes, okay, you're all set. You're right. It's time to wake up. I go, no, 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 no. Shove something up my ass and put me back to sleep. I haven't slept that well in so long. And the, I guess the doc just started laughing. You're crazy, bro. You're crazy. I, but See, I haven't slept you that did, well now. You did the propofol, bro. You gotta, you gotta yeah. just go straight up so you can feel it. Yeah, that's my, oh, what? No, uh, uh-uh. uh. No, on. you might want you might want to rethink what you yeah. just said, my friend. No, we, dude. I joked about it. It's such a funny joke, like just to bring up the fact that you got a colonoscopy because it's always like ends up in like some fucking weird banter. But no, I mean oh, the sure. reason we did I did it was like, um, you know, one of my buddies actually who we're gonna have on the show <clears throat> had a situation, so I was like, oh, I gotta get screened, man. Like, I don't want to have a situation, right? You don't, uh, you never know, man. So you can only do so much to stay healthy and screen and eat healthy, but sometimes it's, you know, some bad luck. And, and I think that's the hard part. Like if something like that happens, like, what do you do? Right. Like, and how do you deal with it? And, and that's exactly it. And yeah, you can do so much to take care of yourself and it doesn't matter. My neighbor, two days before Christmas. No, it does matter. Just, just you know, it doesn't. No, it you does. know what? You know what? I love you, but it really does. No, but it I does. Think Let me finish my <laughs> sentence. Like my kids, I can't even finish my sentence. No, <laughs> what I'm saying is, it's important that you take care of yourself. It's important that you eat well, you exercise, you drink lots of water. Yes, check, check, check. But there's also a component that none of that matters. It's just what you're made of, how you're made and just your genetics. And this neighbor of mine was in great shape and he had just built this beautiful new home. He had spent all this time, like to the point where, nope, we're going to wreck that. We're going to rebuild it. It's got to be perfect. Two days before Christmas, he drops dead, like 52 years old. And he did everything you did and here he's dead. So there is a component that is, yes, you can take care of yourself. And then there's the other component that you just don't know what's ticking in there. And if it's just ticking away like your heart or it's a ticking time bomb, you don't know. And yeah, you can do all these tests and thing and see if that makes a difference and knowing 23 and me or all those things and figuring all that out. But what are you going to do? What do you do if you find out that you have some sort of weird gene that's going to put you in a box well before you thought? Well, I don't know, man. You're going to eat healthy. You're going to work out. You're going to drink water. I, there it is. You're going to do the same shit. I disagree. I think you, you got to stay healthy. The other thing too is like the healthier you are, think about a fighter, right? The healthier you are, you're, you you're know, missing, you're, you're, you're missing the point. Of, I'm agreeing with oh. you. You have to be healthy, but there is a component that you have no control, control over. That's oh, that's true. That's true. But I think being healthier and, and, and having these, the healthy lifestyle helps you kind of manage and deal with that better than you would if you were not so healthy, maybe like obese and not have other medical problems, comorbidities, right? Like you're going to be sicker, right? For sure. And I mean, and I can't go outside and just rip darts all day and just be like, I wonder why my lungs always hurt. And I wonder why I always have bronchitis. Oh, you're smoking three packs today. I chuckle because that dude's become like an internet sensation in China, he runs marathons and he just chief smokes the whole time. I mean, that's just crazy genetics. I mean, that, we all know that there's there's those people who smoke 
two, three packs a day, their whole lives are like 90 and they're like, fine. Right. And then there's the dude that is healthy, 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 dead. Both of those are like top of, you know, at the extremes of the the bell shaped curve. Yeah. Yeah. And those are outliers, no doubt. But what makes the news or what makes the, you know, the, what we hear, it's those outliers. Yeah, for sure. Damn, but we're outliers like in general. So that kind of scary. <laughs> Why? Because I'm on the tall side of the outlier and you're on the short side of the outlier. That's one. <laughs> <laughs> now, actually, it's uh, it's funny because you just have to, you just got to do the best for yourself, for your health as you can. That's it. It seems like it seems like such a simple comment, but it's so true. And yet we, we just take some of these things for granted that each morning we get to open our eyes and start our new day. And you just got to sometimes be thankful for the little things of just that. Yeah. I'm glad that, you know, I haven't really had anything happen like that to me, you know, knock on wood. Um, but I do know, uh, we have a couple friends, uh, that can kind of share some insight on, uh, how to kind of deal with this. Uh, one of our friends, uh, okay. Anakwanzi is going to come on. He's a professor at Duke and he is, uh, 43 or something. And he had a bout with, uh, a medical issue recently. And I, I kind of want to hear how he dealt with it. Um, I think uh, he can give us some valuable information. And then we're also going to have Chris Chouinard, a.k.a. Chewy. We had him on last season to be one of our judges for our uh, swag swaggy episode. Uh, but he had some issues as well last year, which were massive, and he's made it back. And so today's episode is a little bit more, I don't want to say somber because I think there's a happy ending to it with both of them, but a little bit more serious of like what happens as a physician when God forbid something bad happens to you and how they manage their way through it. I mean, I know my own experience, not with a illness, but just having my rotator cuff fixed and trying to navigate through that and figure out when I'm going to do that and when I'm going to see patients, when I'm not going to see patients, when I'm going to start operating again, what is my line in the sand to tell people I'm done right now until I pick back up. It's, and we both did it with our own practices. It's, it's so much in logistics, but then you throw in that part where neither of these guys asked for it. And it was, urgent or emergent as opposed to elective and it just changes that dynamic dude we were just talking about that before you got on and like sharif was making fun of me how i work out all the time and you know, eat plant-based and I try to be super healthy, but he's like, none of that matters. Like, did you feel like that? Like none of that mattered when you got, I mean, you're doing two a days. I mean, Sharif can't even like walk on a treadmill. No. Uh-uh. Yeah. So, I mean, I was, it was funny. Cause I even like, um, I, I was, I was actually, when I got sick, I was, I was in really good shape. I, I was about 12% body fat and I was trying to get down even further. Um, 
and uh, everybody that sort of took care of me uh, during that period of time said, likely the only reason why I didn't die was because I was in such good shape when it happened and because I'm such a stubborn prick, um, you know, so I think it was and, the latter. Yeah, I'm like a cockroach, man. I'm hard to kill, you know, or hard to kill evil, I guess. So, no, I, I think that's good, dude. Like, I, I think the part that you were healthy probably helped you kind of get over it. At least that's what I think. Cause, you know, we see it in our patients too, right? Like, if they're healthier and then they go into battle, which is like surgery and, and, you know, their whole homeostasis has changed, I think that the healthier patients probably are better off uh, recovering. Don't you think? But Danny, sure, you know, I, I want to make sure that you understand that I agree that a healthier patient will do better. I know, I know I'm just giving but you crap. The point I'm trying to make is he didn't wake up and go, hey, I want some necrotizing fasciitis tonight. Oh, that's true. Or necrotizing pancreatitis. So that yeah. just showed up. Now, thank goodness he's healthy and he did better because of it. But there's these components that no matter what you do, you can't prepare for. What do you think, Chewy? Like, how well, was that? You know, like, man, going to the doctor, like having to be cared for by a doctor. Oh God, a doctor. I hated it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a terrible patient. My wife will agree with that. And, um, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a humbling experience. It does give you some insight and perspective in terms of what it's like to be a patient and hopefully it improves your empathy when you are um, taking care of your patients. And you have to remember, you know, that, that, um, you know, patients are, are um, very often scared and you have this huge knowledge discrepancy. And, and I, I will tell you from my standpoint, while I was in the, in the throes of, of my illness. Um, uh, so it was during COVID, it was locked down. Um, you know, I didn't see my wife uh, or kids uh, other than like kind of waving out of a window um, for a while. And, um, I, you know, I, I couldn't put together coherent sentences. I mean, I was uh, I was a mess. Um, I, you know, I, I went into the hospital, um, you know, seemingly in amazing shape. And within 24 hours, you know, I had horrible third spacing. I was, I, I didn't get intubated when I first went in, but was on four liters of oxygen, um, you know, had a dopamine drip. Um, I mean, a dope, I mean, a dilated uh, uh, drip going. Um, it was, uh, it was crazy. I, uh, I started third spacing to the point. So when I went into the, the hospital, I was 155 pounds, and like I said, about 12% body fat. And, um, within like 48 hours, uh, I was like 180 some pounds. Uh, you know, like, uh, I had so much third space. Like I, it was hard for me to see, like my eyes getting pressed shut. You know, it was one of those things where like when I managed to look down and see my, uh, see my balls, they were like, Third, pay, third space and swollen. And it was just like this horrible scenario. And again, I, you know, I had no idea what was going on with me. And I would like record things that the doctors would say to me because I couldn't retain anything. And then I would try and somehow get that information to my wife. Um, 
and I mean, again, I was a mess on admit. My mortality rate was better than 90%. And then over the course of this process, I had literally like every sort of bad sign you can imagine. I, uh, theoretically, I had an infected pseudocyst. Um, I had to have pancreatic debridements. I had all these things which like ticks your mortality rate up to like 98% or something crazy like that. So I'm, you know, very blessed to uh, be having this conversation with you guys. That's crazy, man. Yeah, I didn't work for nine months. I mean, I was, I, and then, you know, I, uh, you know, I ballooned up with all this third spacing. And then, you know, after all was said and done, like I reached the nadir of 125 pounds. Um, That's Danny's weight. Like, That's fine. Yeah, but, you know. <laughs> Uh, Danny looks good at that weight. Um, I, uh, I looked like, I looked like Gollum, you know, I should have been running around going precious. I mean, I, uh, I do have pictures. It was, it was, uh, it was horrible. And then I still couldn't get my gallbladder out until I had actually then put back some physiologic reserves. So finally got my gallbladder out like at the end of August. So the process started in April of 2020. Um, and again, I was hospitalized for almost three months, had multiple procedures, multiple like drains coming out, finally got my gallbladder out in August, and then still had a couple other procedures. I think the last procedure I had done was in February of 2021. Um, and I finally went back to work like truly full-time around April. That's wild, Chewy. I mean, what did you do? Like, so you didn't have to see patients at the time because it was COVID, right? But what about when it opened up? Like, were people like the patients asking, like, waiting for surgery? Like, well, like, what did you tell them? Or did anybody tell them anything? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I have the benefit of being in, in a group, and and my partners were kind enough to do all the surgeries I had teed up on the uh, well insured patients, and. Um, I I was left uh, uh, some revisions and complications and and some uh, Medicaid patients, um, but you know a, a lot of my practice involves a lot of you know sort of crazy uh, stuff. Um, so uh, you know some of those patients were stuff that my partners were never going to uh, take care of anyway. But um, yeah, I I did come back to um, you know. Uh, some interesting stuff. And like I said, I had, I think when I got sick, we canceled, I think I had 80 surgeries on the book. Um, going into COVID, that was in terms of a uh, personal practice, that was like my apex. I had two PAs and was doing, um, I was doing a lot. And um so there were a lot of there were a lot of cases on the books that got canceled, and the the patients eventually got taken care of. Some people wanted to wait for me, um, which was really nice. Um, but again, I had you know when I when I started back, I did you know to some degree need to kind of build my practice back. Um, just you know, like if you if you go on vacation, um, you know sometimes there can be a lull in your surgical schedule simply because. If you're not maintaining that throughput, you can have lulls like that. Well, you know, I had a nine-month lull, uh, so it uh, it took a little bit to get rolling again. But that was also um, good for my health. There's no way I would 
uh, would have been able to pick up at the pace that I left. And even now I'm actually not operating um, at the pace that I had. And I'm okay with that. I was just going to say, is that, you know, I haven't been in your situation in regards to what you went through. I had a, a little bit of a scare. Thank God it wasn't anything that was like yours. But I remember after that scare, I was, I, I reevaluated everything and I said, do I want to do five, six, 700 cases a year? No, it's not worth it on my own health. And so like knowing what you had just gone through and your reserves are depleted, and now you look great again, but it's two, three years later. What is, where are you now? Like, are you saying I'm at my new apex or you still feel like you want to get a little bit busier? No, I think I'm at, I think I'm where I want to be. I will tell you. So um, some of the residual of all of this is I'm a type one diabetic. And um, prior to getting sick, um, I, uh, I mean, I, usually had like four hours of sleep at night. I mean, I just, I didn't need to sleep. Just, it wasn't my thing. Um, now if I don't get like between seven and eight hours, I'm like wiped out. Like I feel hungover. I mean, it's just, you know, so my new normal is a, is a different, um, feeling. I, I feel fatigue. Um, I feel the stress of what we do more than I did way back when. Um, so, you know, that took a little adjustment. Um, you know, it's one of, it was, it was kind of a frustrating thing for a bit, to to feel like that. And, and then, you know, you just, you have to accept it. And again, I still try and exercise and eat well. I mean, I also at times like going to like, you know, ridiculous Michelin three-star dinners and stuff like that. And, because I'm missing a lot of my pancreas, you know, I probably shouldn't eat like, uh, you know, a pound of tartare and two dozen wow. oysters. Cause if I do that, I'm probably going to need, uh, you know, to find a bathroom, uh, within two hours. Cause my system doesn't really process that stuff the same way anymore. That's a lot of oysters. Um, well, I, you know, I don't know that I've ever eaten two dozen uh, oh. raw ones anyway at a sitting. I was, anyway, gonna, I was like, I was using I let it, it go for a second, but that was impressive. I was like, wow. I'm using that as yeah. Well, I've um, <laughs> I've definitely, well, you know, I've I've definitely eaten a dozen and a half raw ones at one sitting, and actually chased that down with a, a plate of tartare. Um, so that you know, not doing that anymore, but. Uh, yeah, I you know I'm I'm good with this kind of you know a different um, pace, um, and I think it's uh, at least for me it's just more sustainable, and um, I'm certainly I've always traveled a lot and tried to take vacations with uh, with my family, but I'm I'm definitely. Um, not um, waiting to do certain trips. Like the last last spring, we took a trip to Egypt, which normally, you know, that was something my wife and I had talked about. You know, something we wanted to do in retirement. Well, we, us and another couple, we we took two weeks. We went to Paris for a few days and ten days on the Nile. I mean, you know, so things like that. I'm um, prioritizing a little differently. Um, 
back to your earlier question, Danny, you know, like being a patient again, it's a weird thing. And, and, you know, being at um, the mercy of, of people taking care of you, it's, uh, um, you, you have to have grace. And, and for me, again, you know, I'm not necessarily always the most patient person. And, and one of the things that I had to tell myself on a daily basis, I mean, among many things, you know, so like, number one, I, I, I didn't want to die. Um, which, like I said, was un- unfortunately not a foregone conclusion that I was going to live. Um, and so, you know, there's that. Um, I, I had grace and appreciation for the people that were taking care of me. Um, and, um, you know, just one of those things where you had to kind of take one day at a time. Um, I can tell you that, uh, some of those things, uh, some of the experiences kind of stay with you a little bit. And I, uh, with all the procedures I'd done, and there, there were many of them, um, never had any sort of negative flashbacks or issues with any of them. Although weirdly enough, this was probably a, within the first year of my going back to work, uh, someone's circuit came disconnected <laughs> with the anesthesia and they were doing an LMA on one of my cases and I've got a huge whiff of gas and that just sort of freaked me out, sort of brought me back to uh, uh, being on the other end of things. Um, and then uh, my wife and I were watching uh, Limitless, the Chris Hemsworth thing. And... Um, like on the final episode in the in the series, they like they put him through his death and they code him and and all this. And I actually I, I walked out of the room and it started freaking me out because I I got coded during this process. So um, one of after being in the hospital for several weeks, I went home and had the um, privilege of of. Um, having to get taken back to the hospital by ambulance because I collapsed in my house in front of my kids uh, and my wife. And, um, well, that, that was the first time. So I I ended up in the hospital with, uh, with abdominal compartment syndrome, um, and had to get my abdomen tapped. I tapped three liters of, of necrotic fluid out. Um, and my pulse pressure at that point was something like 30 because I was, uh, I think I was, uh, I was orthostatic. And, and every time I sat up, I would just bottom out. And it was because of this abdominal compartment, compartment syndrome. So I got a drain in and then I was in the hospital for a few more days and I went home. And mind you, I'd been in the hospital for about three weeks. I went home, collapsed, went back, was in for a few more days, came home. Um, collapsed a second time after about four or five days, I think. And then, um, again, taken by ambulance. Uh, and one of the issues there was I, uh, so all of this, uh, enzymatic stuff that was going on in my abdomen had started to create a, uh, a pseudo, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, pseudo aneurysm in my gastroduodenal artery. <clears throat> and that was leaking. Um, so they, so I'm back in the hospital for a little bit and, um, 
part of my coverage being managed actually by uh, a GI doc in, in Grand Rapids who uh, handles complicated stuff. And he was encouraging me to go to Grand Rapids for some more care. And after like four days uh, in my local hospital, we we uh, started the transfer. So I got to Grand Rapids on Friday. And then on Saturday, they were going to try and coil or stent the pseudoaneurysm. Well, <clears throat> and, and, and in all of this, um, I will tell you pancreatitis really fucking hurts. Uh, so, you know, in all this, I'm most cases pretty uncomfortable. And when they finally Saturday morning get me to take me down to the angio suite, I'm about as uncomfortable as I ever had been. And I, I literally can't sit still. And um, they get me down into the angio suite. And again, I am just like writhing around. I'm in so much pain. And they can't get a line on me. Um, and uh, I was like, what's going on? Because there's some panic in the room. And they're like, um, you're, you're, you're starting to crash. And then next thing I know, I hear code blue angio one. And that's, that's me. And, uh, you know, totally getting tunnel vision, everything's going black. The last thing I remember, you know, so this could have been on my tombstone, my last words, I was like, what's my, uh, what's my systolic? And uh, the, the nurse leans in and he's like, you're 60 over 40. And I said, put in a fucking IO. And that's the last thing I remember until uh, I woke up in the ICU and I'm intubated and I'm in the ICU, I'm restrained. And like, I start doing like a, a happy dance because at that point I knew I wasn't dead. And then- uh, How long was that? So yeah. um, that was, uh, it was about 24 hours later that, uh, that I came to. Uh, in the ICU. Um, and then the, uh, the, you know, the nurse there was like, you know, they starts calling the, the attending and she's like, you know, he's, he's being agitated. I'm like, no, you know, like, I don't want to get like put down, you know, and, and, uh, I sort of motioned for pen and I, you know, I wrote, thank you. You know, the, the, the ICU dog was, no, I think he's trying to communicate with us. I'm like, yeah. Um, so I was in the ICU in Grand Rapids for about a day and a half and then got transferred back to a floor. And then I was in, uh, Grand Rapids for about another month or so and having some other interesting things done. So with all of this, the, the GI doc wanted to put in something called a, uh, cystgastrostomy to, to drain the pancreatic pseudocyst, but all of this, so like the, there's this whole process. So you have to wait till the cyst creates enough of a wall. Your body walls this thing off enough. Um, so that way you just don't, I guess, kind of spill all your innards through your guts. And so um, to help this along, then I had a, um, an external drain um, they started putting TPA in the drain. So the stuff that they bust clots with, because they wanted to break up some of the 
um, uh, you know, clotted blood in my abdomen. That shit burns. So what they would do is they'd inject it into the drain, clamp the drain, and then let me writhe around for eight hours. And they did that um, every eight hours for a period of 24 hours. And then um, after, oh, probably another week or so, then they were able to do the cisgastrostomy. So they go in with an EGD and basically punch a hole through your stomach wall into the cystic space. And they put in a metal cage and some pigtail catheters. So that way you can then drain that contents in through your abdomen. And I thought, oh, the other thing is I finally had a pick line because all of my vascular access had sort of collapsed over time. And I will tell you, I've never been more excited to get a pick line in my life. I started becoming needle phobic. Like in the past, you could poke me with anything. It wouldn't bother me. But I really was starting to become needle phobic from all of the uh, IV access and all the multiple um, blood draws. Um, and I was very thankful after my uh, coding to wake up with a pick line in place. That's a fascinating story. I mean, everything you went through is... It sounds like it couldn't have been worse, except for maybe one alternative that you're not with us anymore. But it seems like every part of that was the worst it could be. And, you know, there's a higher power that kept you here for a reason. And, and that's wonderful. And, you know, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I, I do like to, you know, and I, I I hope it's not hubris, but I do like to think I am here for a reason. I think that I didn't die because I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, uh, in my life. And, and I do appreciate the opportunity that I have to care for people doing what we do. Um, and it's just something that I, I have to, you know, as I get further and further away from it, just remind myself of that fact, because, uh, it is a gift. I think, you know, what we do, and I think it's a gift to have an experience uh, like I had and come out on the, the right side of it. Um, again, it's something that unfortunately my whole family went through with me. It, it did, I think, change um, my uh, older daughter's um, uh, school choice um, for college. Um, not that she chose poorly, she's at U of M and doing great, but um, I think that, um, and I found out after the fact that sadly, both my kids had nightmares for a while seeing me pass out and some of that stuff. And, um, you know, they were used to seeing me as a, uh, fairly physically strong kind of tireless person. And, um, again, you know, when I came home at, you know, 125, 126 pounds and, you know, couldn't walk down the hall. And, you know, that was something that, they had not expected, I think, to see in their lives. And I'm sorry they had to um, see that. Um, but again, I hope it's one of the things that ultimately they're stronger for it. 
Yeah, that's great, so, man. I mean, it's always, you know, your family's like family, friends, uh, that they were there to help you. I hope my family would be there for me, but you know, I guess you don't know until stuff like that happens, but hopefully nothing like that happens. Um, but I'm sure everyone's stronger and closer because of it. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, the, the, the one thing that I will also say is I, I, you know, my heart, uh, really goes out to anybody that, um, lost a loved one during COVID lockdown and for the person themselves, because, um, to have not been able to see and touch my family during that period of time, um, uh, was terrible. Uh, and even when kind of the lockdowns kind of slowly started getting eased up when I was in Grand Rapids, um, yeah, I was allowed one visitor only and it was a designated visitor. So as my wife, you know, my kids couldn't come and see me and, um, you know, my wife would, uh, drive down. So it's a two hour drive. She'd drive down, um, every other day, although there were a couple of days where I would tell her, you know, don't, don't come. Cause I'm just, I'm not functional. You know, I don't want you to see me like this. I just, you know, um, but, uh, you know, it was, uh, again, it was, you know, one of those challenges that I hope other people, uh, never experience. You know, let's, uh, I'll let you catch your breath because that was sure a lot. And I mean, as one of your friends, like, I'm sorry that, you know, it happened during a time where I didn't know. And I would have obviously been there for you, anything I could have done. And even if it was just to take food to your family, because I'm three hours away, I'll figure out a way to get it there. But um, so I'm, I'm just thankful that you're still here because you you bring joy to me from as a friend with your jokes, your humor. Uh, and then I know from I learn from you as a wonderful surgeon and I'm excited to continue to work with you as we get older. Um, but I'm going to jump over to okay with you know, who's with us yeah. as well. And okay. And Aquanze out of, uh, he's in Durham at Duke and you know, he went through some stuff as well. And I ran into him at a meeting, maybe, I don't know, a little over a year ago. And I looked at him and he, he was so thin and I, I looked at him and I'm like, dude, what's going on? And he, I go, you look really good. I mean, because he didn't look sickly thin. He had, I think it was, coming out of what he had gone through and put on some weight and was healthy again, uh, but definitely smaller. And so, and then he kind of pulled me aside and told me what was going on. And I was like, holy shit, I didn't know. He's like, yeah, I didn't tell anybody. So, okay. Why don't you tell us a little bit about like all your stuff that you went through and when. Sure. Um, well, first of all, thanks for having me. And second of all, I apologize for the uh, AV issues. You know, this is how I am. Some things I know very, very well and things that I don't know, I really just don't know. Um, and this is an important topic. And it's not one that I don't talk about often, not for privacy reasons, but because, um, you know, I like to keep things positive. But, you know, I had a lot of GI pain, ep epigastric pain in 2022. Uh, I remember being SDSI and having these intermittent sharp um, pains last for about 10 seconds, probably I'd say eight out of 10 pain and go away. Um, got a CT scan. Eventually, a CT scan shows some inflammation around the sigmoid. 
And, you know, I thought it was maybe diverticulitis or something like that. So I started eating fiber, changed my diet a little bit. Um, they recommended I get a colonoscopy and I was honestly not in a significant rush to get it. So I didn't pull any sort of physician privileged card that said the next one was about three months away. I said, sure. Um, I, you know, I thought it was going to be something like diverticulitis. I don't know. Um, I went to London with my family for Thanksgiving 2022. And, um, you know, when I arrived in London, you know, I was pretty lethargic. You know, I sort of fell asleep in the lobby, sitting down, waiting for the room. And some family members were sort of thinking like something was wrong and my pain kept getting worse. And I also noticed that I wasn't um, able to eat as much or drink as much gradually. Um, on the third day there, you know, I realized, you know, my bowels just were not working. I hadn't passed any gas. I hadn't had any bowel movements. I still was getting more swollen and instinctively I was just eating less. I just couldn't tolerate as much. Um, so I remember we went to see, um, Hamilton and the show gets done around 10, 11 PM. And at this point I'm just in, I'm in the rest, but I don't want to stress people out. And I'm looking for like laxatives or something. And everything in London sort of shuts down. It feels like a lot early. It was a rainy night. It was just a dreary night. Um, but I started feeling like something was really wrong. So I told my family member, they said, hey, you guys have fun. Do your thing. I'm going to fly back to the U.S. Um, tomorrow morning. So flew from London, you know, to JFK. And it was an eight-hour flight, direct flight to JFK. And the plane, I started having bilious amnesties. I didn't remember what bio looked like but you know i kept going to the bathroom every minute or every hour or so and started vomiting in the um in the restroom um and i just never felt comfortable i didn't eat anything i was sort of writhing a little bit in pain by the time i got to new york you know i was sweaty and drenched in sweat and at this point i was really having a hard time walking um so I considered just staying in New York because um, I went to Columbia. I know people there, but I said, you know, I'd be a lot more comfortable in Durham. So I flew back to Durham and then uh, basically oh, went, you know, straight from the airport with a very swollen belly to the ER. Um, kind of told what I was going on, what was happening. They had a CT scan. A CT scan showed very distended bowels. Um, quote unquote, no obstruction or something was noted. So, you know, this was probably at three in the morning. The ER doctor sends me home with the thing of go lightly and says, well, just it's constipation, just drink this and, um, you know, you know, feel it go away, you know, maybe come back. So I go back home by myself and, um, I'm up, you know, all night, try to drink this thing, but I keep throwing it up and just sort of getting more and more miserable by the day. And at this point I'm desperate, you know, I'm sort of reading everything i'm taking every sort of laxative milk of magnesia anything i could find and the next day around 4 p.m i just said you know this was not you know this was not working out um you know some friends came by picked me up took me to the er another duke er and um and that point i took it a lot more seriously and um i mean i feel like a pregnant woman and um you know the first thing i do is put an ng2 which is not a very i mean that was really not pleasant at all um but it was sort of the start of me realizing that maybe something is really, really wrong here. Um, but I still didn't think it was anything too serious. Um, they admitted me, uh, gave me um, some pain medication, which was really the first time I ever had um, any sort of narcotic. And honestly, I was thankful because I was in so much pain. 
So, you know, I think they spent, they, re, they said that they had to do a colonoscopy to see what was going on, but they would not be able to do a colonoscopy unless I was able to clear my bowels. So we spent the next two days just trying to have me drink go lightly and, and just try to decompress as much as I could. And I just couldn't clear my bowels at all. Um, nothing would go through and I kept throwing up. Everything kept coming back out of the NG tube. So another three days like this, they basically said, you know, they will try to do a scope and just see what we find. And did a scope, right, ran into a blockage, couldn't go past the blockage stricture. And, um, you know, the next day, uh, took me to the OR for sort of an open expiration, um, um, surgery. So it was a Hartman procedure. And I think that they already knew at that point, you know, what was going on. And I remember the, uh, at this point I've been in hospital now for about three, four days and the, uh, GI surgeon, she comes to the room and I'm pretty defiant and she's like, well, you know, we might have to operate. And I'm like, you're not going to operate on me. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. She was like, well, I've never met a surgeon that wants want to operate on him. So this is very normal. I was like, well, you know, like, why would you operate on me? But eventually through the OR, um, they told me that they were going to do a heartburn procedure and that I was going to come out with a colostomy. And, and that was the first time I was just sort of like, okay, that's, that's, doesn't sound pleasant at all. Uh, but I still didn't know, um, went to the OR, came out, had a colostomy bag. Uh, I remember the, the fellow, you know, came out to talk to me and she was like, just fairly nonchalant. She was like, you know, it looked like cancer to be honest with you. And, um, it still didn't register to be honest. Um, and at this point I was just sort of very humble and just scared would probably be the best way to put it. Brave face, scared, being polite to everyone, just happy that I was being taken care of. Um, the biopsy came back as um, positive for um, adenocarcinoma. Um, you know, I had a colostomy. They did a full um, excision. Um, um, you know, they knew. I mean, fortunately, this, the surgeon on call was a GI colorectal surgeon, so she was very experienced. And um, they could not do a primary reanastomosis because I couldn't clear my bowels to prep my bowels. So, you know, I remember at this point, family members were in the hospital with me and they were there when the, um, the, uh, doctor came back to confirm that it was cancer. And, uh, I think on the first time I cried, I remember, you know, one tear sort of came down my eye and it was mainly just looking at everyone and just seeing the fear in the faces. Uh, that's something I never forget. Just the, just the fear. Cause at this point, you know, I'm 40 years old, um, 40 years old and you know, no one has expected something like this. And I'm dealing with a colostomy and they're telling me it's going to be there for about six months. And this is just like unbelievable. You know, uh, I have so much pride in just being physical and being active, being strong. But basically that was that, um, went and talked to the oncologist a few weeks later and they told me that, you know, at this point I came back to stage two, which I was happy about as every cancer patient would tell you, they always wish they caught it earlier, follow the symptoms. Uh, they recommended chemo for me. Um, and it were very, you know, chemo for the type of cancer I had was very sort of maybe, maybe not, but it was a low grade, but it was a somewhat aggressive type of cancer, uh, somewhat differentiated type of cancer. So, um, they put the choice in my hands and that, and then basically they said the survival rate will go from about 75% to about 87% with chemo. So I was like, done deal. 
you know, let's just get it over with. Um, and that was January of 2023. Um, and we started chemo and chemo was a lot harder than I uh, ever thought it would be. I was very surprised by that. Um, I just had a mentality of, I'm just going to sort of walk through whatever and be determined. And I never stopped working. I just said, okay, I'll, you know, my chemo is every other Friday I, I work, um, until the Friday of my chemo infusion. Um, and every infusion cycle, which was every other week, it just got worse and worse. And, you know, by the, by the fourth week, fourth cycle, you know, I just, it was just such a dark, dark time, you know, it was cold outside, you know, you get all this tingling in your fingers, tingling in your toes. Um, you're throwing up all over the place. You're bleeding from your nose, bleeding from your mouth. Um, you know, I've got this colostomy bag that I'm trying to figure out. You're having leakages here and there. And you're taping it up and you're emptying it out every day. Um, you know, just sort of, just a really dark time. My, my A1, my ANC industrial count kept dropping to below one. It kept, you know, giving me, um, um, infusions to raise it back up, even though they felt that it was a good sign that maybe I would respond to the chemo. Um, the big thing was, well, you know, will I have loss of sensation? One of the big side effects with, uh, GI chemo is you can lose your sensation in your fingers and your toes and sometimes it's permanent. So, you know, we were really looking out for that. That was one of the reasons why I kept operating just so I would know if it got to a point where I couldn't do it anymore. Um, and it, you know, it kept getting worse. Um, they cut my chemo cycle down from 12 weeks to six weeks because they have some, you know, they have, they have a lot of new technology, you know, they can, they basically took part of the cancer, they took the DNA from the cancer, and then they do this, uh, tumor DNA detection test where they take blood draws and then they look to see if any of the DNA from the cancer is being expressed in the blood. And if that's negative with this modern sort of um, approach, if it's negative, they can cut down the, um, cycles of chemotherapy. And if it's a fortunate positive, then you stay on, or maybe even go longer. Um, it's supposed to be more sensitive than scanners. So we did that. Um, I did six weeks and, you know, by the end of six weeks, I was just basically a wreck. I mean, I lost, I lost, um, probably about 60 pounds. Um, and I was off to work for about seven months, you know, after five, six, I mean, I was partially working for about seven months. Um, I went back for a colostomy reversal, which is another big surgery, uh, last June. Um, and that was, you know, at this point, I was just so happy to be moving, moving forward. Um, I also couldn't believe, you know, all I had learned, you know, if anyone ever told me that I'd be operating with a colostomy bag, there's just no way I was ever going to say I'd do that. I remember talking to my chairman, I was like, bet I have this bath and I can't work with it. Like, how am I supposed to be in the OR and focus on what I'm trying to do when I'm worried about a leakage? Um, but you know, went back, reversed it, and um and I came back. I came back full, you know, took six weeks off to get better, and I came back full time. And uh, but I came back with just a new, a whole new determination, a whole new vision, like everything had changed. It felt like I grown like seven to 10 years, um, in a span of one year. Um, and I don't know why I think, you know, suffering and dark times and having so much time to think changes you. Um, and when you're exposed to that kind of stress, 
your threshold for really getting really stressed out changes. Um, and I really started to appreciate life more. Um, it was the first time I had been really tested. I felt like I just acted like things were easy to a certain degree. And when I realized that I'm very mortal and time is what it is, it's just time and it may come and it may go at any time. I started just thinking about really applying myself and really just dedicating myself to this life in every way I could and just taking full advantage of every day, you know, so whether it's my personal life, you know, really taking every day, like seriously in terms of, you know, like seriously, but seriously means even just having fun, making sure I'm taking time for myself, making sure I'm maximizing my relationships, uh, making sure uh, from a work standpoint, I'm sort of doing all the things that really matter to me. Um, learning not to care so much about what other people think. Uh, one thing about that experience is you realize you suffer alone. Uh, people love you, they care for you, but the suffering is yours. And it sort of empowered me in a way. Um, and, you know, I wasn't afraid of dying, to be honest with you. I realized that, like uh, was said earlier, I wanted to live. Um, but I spent more time thinking about all the things I already had and the things that I've been blessed with. I spent more time thinking about that than the fear of death. It was great because, it was, you know, the things that you think about when you're retired, about to retire, all you've accomplished, where you've been, you know, those were things that were on my mind at the age of 40, you know, growing up in Nigeria and the opportunity to come here and uh, to train and to do what I do and travel with friends and I was so thankful, but I knew that if I survived that I would, I would, I would be better than I ever was in every way, um, and be kinder than I ever was in every way. And, um, so be a better doctor, be a better friend. Um, uh, I learned more about what it means to be a good friend, uh, because I had some people who just really went out of the way in a way that I didn't even recognize, you know, it was not something I would have done just in terms of how they were checking in and coming over and every week calling this and that. Um, you know, I stopped eating red meat. Um, I haven't had red meat since then. I cut my alcohol consumption down massively. You know, who knows if these things make a difference, but, you know, I wanted to sacrifice something to remember it. I said, I was just not going to be the same. I wanted to remember, you know, something about the experience. If I went back to living the exact same way, then, you know, it would be less meaningful. Um, you know, the symptoms haven't really gone away. You know, maybe they've gotten marginally better. I still sort of sleep with socks on. My toes still get cold. Uh, and the OR, my fingers still get sort of cold and numb the fingertips. Um, but fortunately, I can still do it, you know. And, and in a way, these challenges make me, I appreciate it. it I, I really, because it, it humanizes me to myself. And it just humanizes me to sort of know, like, I'm just a human being in this time and live in a mortal body. And I spent a lot of time thinking about what the meaning of life is. And I don't know, but I sort of ended up with, I just told myself to me, the meaning of life is, um, why am I here? I just felt like to do two things. I said, well, I'm here to a, you know, help people, the human race and whatever way I can. And two, experience the human existence. And that's it. You know, I'm here to experience life um in all its totality and also to help people out and then there are all sorts of sub, um, subgroups beneath that and 
you know, if that became my sort of North Pole, my shining, you know, my shining tower, it sort of clarified a lot of things for me. Like, yeah, I'm just focusing, trying to do the right thing, help some people and experiencing life in every way. Um, so I just had my one year anniversary, um, last November and, you know, really took it all in and was, um, you know, pretty emotional. I was in Puerto Rico, uh, with friends and family and, um, you know, they say if you're cancer free for five years, at least with colon cancer, you're considered, if you have no cancer for five years, you're considered cancer free. Uh, I actually had a CT scan this morning as part of my every six months, I get a CT scan checkup. So I had a chest abdomen pelvis CT with contrast today, which is all negative, thankfully. Um, so, you know, we keep marching on, but I am not afraid at all. And, um, most of all, I'm just so happy with, with everything. There are, there are things that I, I would like to do, you know, I'd like to have a family. I'd like to have kids. I'd like to, um, help more people out in certain ways. I'd like to do some things on, um, uh, in a more impactful way. Um, but. You know, that's life. You're always going to have things that you want to do. I'm working towards all those things now and, um, everything is great on the first to the side and got a great girlfriend and things going strong. Um, professionally, I'm pacing myself more. I'm not trying to break any records, anything. Um, and I'm just enjoying my relationships with people. So, you know, you said, both of you have said so much. <clears throat> I'm going to ask a few different questions and just say we'll get to each. So many of your own patients have probably said to themselves, I'm so blessed to have had Dr. Chenard or Dr. Anakwanze take care of me. And you've been like their shining light. For each of you, is there a particular doctor that you can think of that that was your like, that's my guy. That's why I'm better. Think about that. That's one. Number two, we we do have a, a, a lot of listeners that are, you know, younger in their careers, uh, whether it be in medicine or whatever, that are like, go, 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 go. The only way I can see exceed is, you know, just to go over the top and be, what do you say to those people now that you've had this experience in your life? Like you just said a little bit, okay, about you know, pacing. And I think Chewy said the same thing, but what would your advice to them be? Uh, let's start with you, Chewy. Um, so I, I think it's critically important that um, people do try and, and take care of themselves when they're physicians, because we spend our time taking care of everybody else and, and our own health can sometimes suffer. And I've been fortunate that over the years, some of the things that I like to do um, for fun also, uh, are good for my health. So, um, I had that going for me and, and that's been helpful over time, but I will also tell you that you also need to not treat yourself. And, um, if I look back with the, uh, retrospectoscope a few years ago, um, we were at a friend's lake house, uh, up here and I was having some pretty significant abdominal pain, um, over the weekend. And, uh, I just, you know, chalked it up to, well, I must have an ulcer. And so I talked to one of my buddies who's a GI doc and said, you know, um, do an upper GI on me, you know, scope me, let's make sure I don't have an ulcer. And he did. He's like, yeah, you're clear. Um, 
and I was probably having, you know, some prodromal symptoms. I'm, you know, the, the gallstones didn't just appear, you know, in 2020, they had been there for a while. So I was having some prodromal symptoms that if I had been more open to, Hey, would you check me out? Would you do what you do as a GI doc? We might've identified that earlier. Um, you know, a little bit like what OK has gone through and, and, um, I did a couple of years later also just, I, I actually had a colonoscopy and, and it's funny, I, um, I did it without sedation because of the previous surgeries. One of my paranoias was getting perfed. So, you know, uh, same GI doc, you know, did a lower scope on me and, and that was all clear. And, and again, you know, it was just one of those things where I was like, Hey, you know, go ahead and do it. I just want to get the colonoscopy out of the way you know, because I know people are getting identified with colon cancer earlier and earlier. Uh, and again, I, I should have at some point said, oh, hey, you know, I've got occasional abdominal pain, which again, with my history of what happened to me when I was younger, I something that I just thought was kind of part of life, um, or at least my life anyway. And then you, you talk about, you know, what physician might have been the, 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 the greatest impact on what's happened to me recently, I'm going to have to say that I, I have to single out three people. One is um, my partner, Jack Reinick, because um, the day that I got sick, um, you know, I, I ate my crazy breakfast, which I was eating at the time, which was um, uh, a savory oatmeal. So this kind of like perfectly balanced macro, like I made oatmeal, steel cut oatmeal with bone broth and put two poached eggs into it. So it's this uh, or I would fry them that morning. I did poached eggs, you know. So I ate that um, after my workout, and then shortly thereafter, I was throwing up, and I think I had some diarrhea. Or, uh, but then I'm, I'm I literally had to go into my bed, and and I'm sort of kind of writhing around. My wife's like, "What's going on?" I'm like, "I'm fine." And so she's kind of going about her stuff again. We're in lockdown, and I think she was probably doing something with the kids while I'm in the fetal position in bed and she comes back two hours later and she says, I look terrible. I'm just, you know, dripping in sweat. And again, just sort of like writhing around in silence. And she's like, you need to go to the emergency room. And I said, I am fine. I'm not going anywhere. And she called my partner, uh, Jack, who literally came to the house, physically picked me up, stuffed me in his car and drove me to the emergency room. Um, good friend. And then I was, you know, he's an amazing friend. Um, and then I was, you know, gone for a long time. Um, and so he's one. And then the other two would have to be this, uh, the GI doc from um, Grand Rapids who uh, was doing all these procedures on me. Um, and then um, the interventional guy who basically was able to coil the aneurysm when I was essentially bleeding out, uh, uh, on his table. Um, and you know, those three people pretty much have, are, um, the ones that have made sure again, that I'm here having this conversation. Okay. How about you? Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's uh, really amazing to hear. I think that, um, I think two people that stood out, um, certainly one stood out the most was my uh, GI surgeon. 
And, uh, you know, she was a call and I get a sense we're about the same age. You know, I think academically, and I, at least at Duke, I rank higher than she does. Uh, but we're about the same age. And by nature, the way I am, even though I am changing this, is by nature, I tend to be somewhat competitive. In terms of, I look at people and I say, what are they doing well that I'm not doing well? You know, uh, I, I, you know, what they, are they not doing that I can do? What are they doing that I cannot do? I hate the way I think, but that's how I think. And I remember with her, I remember thinking, you know, she just communicates so well. Uh, she communicated with my family so well. You know, my family is a, you know, a traditional Nigerian family. And she's getting calls by so many of them. And just her communication skills. I remember thinking about that. She made everyone feel at ease. Ah, uh, the way she communicated with me when I was in the hospital. Um, she didn't coddle me, but she was very, very, uh, it was very clear. You could tell she cared a lot and the way she went over details. Um, so I felt so comfortable with her. You know, I called her Dr. Jackson. I don't call her her first name. And when I saw her, you know, last thing, it was a big hug. And I, I thanked her for saving my life. Um, cause she really did. Um, and the hospital I had it done was not at the main Duke hospital. It was at a smaller hospital. They gave me the option to go to the major hospital. They were like, you know, you work with Duke, go to the man. I said, no, I feel just very comfortable with Dr. Jackson and I want to stay with her. Uh, and I did. And the second person, not to the same degree, was is uh, my oncologist. You know, I had the first oncologist was good. Um, but I felt that I wanted someone who was seeing me more as a person than a sort of a number because he was more like, well, this plus this equals 12 cycles. And, you know, so I transferred to uh, GI, I mean, a GI oncologist. He's actually the uh, chief of GI oncology at Duke. I think he's chief of oncology in general. And um, he's just such a, such a nice guy. And in a way, he sort of, he, the way he practices is sort of how I like to evolve and how I, what I respect. Like he's a very academic person, but he's also very practical. You know, he, he sort of knows the science, but he also tries to understand the person. Um, very knowledgeable. Um, he came in every Friday because that's when I was getting my chemo. They didn't work on Fridays, but he would come in every Friday just for me to the clinic, just to see me at that time in scrub. This is a guy who was, a uh, you know, he was the chief of uh, another big oncology um, practice. So those two, um, and I'm very thankful to both of them. In terms of what I tell people now, um, you know, it's a tough thing. Younger people are trying to come up and they're trying to make the name and older people are trying to, you know, keep their name or everyone has goals. And we all know that a lot of these goals are not exactly the healthiest goals. Like we just know this, but we, we do it and I'm guilty of it. Um, I think I tell people to try to just ask themselves, you know, how much meaning, whatever they do brings to them. That's number one, to intrinsically ask themselves that, um, two, to just realize that, um, you know, we, I mean, this is hard to talk about people because you don't want to depress them. But the reality is you just don't have as much time as we all think you do. And that regardless of whatever it is you do, whatever it is I accomplish, I'm just a human. And chances are someone else will accomplish more. And chances are whatever I'm doing, someone has already done before. Um, you know, so if you're going to spend all your time trying to do something, I'd say, well, you might as well spend your time trying to do something that's really original and meaningful to you. Or if it's not about you, really meaningful to to others, but also realize that 
you know, you're going to come, you're going to go. Charlie, Charlie Neer came, Charlie Neer left. I'll never be Charlie Neer. You know, like, so being humble enough to just know that. And secondly is, you know, trying to create strategies to manage your life. Um, you know, if you feel like, okay, I work a lot. And you say, well, you can't just stop working, but you can manage it. So I say, like, instead of saying you're not going to do any research, you say, well, okay, fine. I will do research. Yes, but. So I have a yes, but attitude now with myself. Yes, I will do this, but I will only do it. Like I have a three hour work window now, you know, it actually today started at two. And when I got a text, it was like five. I was like, perfect. My window is done. Three hour work window. I'm not going to work more than three hours. I'm going to definitely spend at least two hours on sort of self-care, whatever you call it, which might be as simple as me cooking, calling family, taking my dog for a walk, hanging out with my girlfriend, at least two hours. Um, and then also setting aside time for sort of home or just life projects and things. So trying to compartmentalize because I, I realized I would not be able to stop, you know, but I can manage what I do and manage my time. So I have a yes, but attitude. I think people who are coming up um, should keep, you know, that's how we get better is by achieving and doing all this stuff as a group. Um, but I don't think they should consume themselves with it. And um, as a society, I think that we shouldn't be, um, I'd be a little bit I worried if we sort of say that the message is, you know, just your value is strictly based on, you know, how many papers you're publishing and, and you know, how many talks you're giving. Um, because these things are in a lot of ways counterproductive to health, which is really the most important thing. So I don't have the answer, you know, lifelong debate, but I think I have a yes, but attitude. Yes, I'll do this, but, um, I negotiate with myself for, you know, every, for any like positive, like really in a way I spoil myself. I'm going to, even if it's with a nice meal, so with a bottle of wine or a glass of wine, you know, I tell myself sort of, it sounds weird, but I, I work for like to be disciplined about how I live, um, not take anything for granted, not to be too excessive. I'm not too excessive about work. Like I used to, I'm not too excessive about drinking. Um, but just balancing your life. That's great advice. You know, you guys, First of all, I, you know, we want to thank you for opening up and talking about this. I know it's tough for both of you uh, because I know both your personalities are, you know, larger than life and so fun. So to kind of go back to this dark spot, um, which it's really interesting for who is a 1993 doctor with a pager? <laughs> I mean, oh, so I'm sorry. You know what? Um, again, byproduct of my. Um, uh, current existence before uh, I came on with you guys, I had to change my um, uh, CGM, my continuous glucose monitor, and my insulin pump. Wow. Um, and the warm up process for the CGM is two hours. And so that periodic beeping is the insulin pump alarming that it's not receiving information from the CGM. So I'm sorry, so there's for... no way I can no. silence that. No, that's fine. <laughs> that's Thanks fine. for making me feel like a dick. Um... <laughs> well, you are, but that's okay. <laughs> well, fair enough. I, I, I can live with that. Uh, but but you guys opened up. And, and so now that we hear some laughter, you know, as yeah. you know, on our show, let's switch gears and let, let's put some uh, 
Let's get some laughter. So we we got a game. I think Bobby's going to come on today for the game. And uh, he says he's got a nice transition. So let's see how Bobby's transition goes. (laughs) In the club. There he is. All right. I can't see you. Bobby, your camera. Hey, while Bobby's coming on, I do just want to say, and okay, kind of touched upon this, you know, um, and I don't mean this to sound again, additionally, like a downer, this should be uplifting when you, uh, when you're with your loved ones, never hesitate to, uh, uh, recognize them, show them affection, uh, tell me you love them because, um, you never know when you won't have that opportunity to do so. That is phenomenal advice. Phenomenal advice. Did Bobby like leave? Bobby, Bobby. digital. Bobby. Bobby. No, I thought I thought it was really good. Thanks for coming on, um, Chewy. I know I just met you. I think like three years ago now. So I'm glad that you're still around and we can still hang out more years to come. Okay, too, man. I've known Okay for a long time. You know, we've known each other probably since residency where we were like friends, but low key competing against <laughs> each other, but we still liked each other. But he knew, I mean, okay, I always know I, had, I always have good intentions and I just like to surround myself with like really good people. And so I've always kind of like look up to, okay, not just because he's taller, but you know, just because, you know, he's doing things all the time. So when I actually, you know, I call, okay, like a couple of times a year and check up on him. And I remember the one time I called him to check up, I was like, what's going on, man? And he, he dropped the story. I mean, I was like, oh shit. And you know, that kind of inspired me a little bit too. Like, I would, you know, that's actually why I got a colonoscopy. Part of it was cause I wanted to know. And then the second part of it was cause he told me that I should. And then the third part of it was cause like, I just felt bad for what he went through and it was kind of like a way to empathize. I'm like, well, he told me to go put so a scope in my yeah. left. So I'm going to go do it. So then, you know, and I did, and I'm glad, I'm glad that I did. Cause now I feel better and, you know, I'm kind of like, you know, okay. It's just kind of looking out, but I think that we all kind of need friends like you guys just to kind of put everything in check, you know? So thanks for coming on and, and sharing it. I know it was a little deep, but uh, it was good. No doubt, man. I, yeah, right. Happy to. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've known, like Danny said, yes, I've known Danny forever. And, you know, Danny's nickname has always been, you know, 99th of 99th, Mr. 99th, because he was always in 99th percentile on his OITEs and the whole world. I so mean, he tells us. So he tells. So he tells. This is true. Uh, we don't know for why am I so gullible? I don't know. I just believe them. I have the proof. <laughs> I have the proof. All right. I then you can call me eleventh person. We'll po- I'm going to post it on Instagram. I'm posting it on Instagram. I got, I got my scores. <laughs> All right. Well, here's Bobby. Bobby, take it away, brother. And we're going to play a game that uh, that we like to do here. Uh, it's just called Would You Rather. So I'm going to pop out a couple of questions for you guys. And I just want to see everyone's perspective. Uh, there are absolute clear answers, like winners and losers to each of these answers. <laughs> so I will tell you if your opinion is wrong and I will uh, put my foot down on it. But uh, anyways, we're going to let the guests go first, guys. Uh, we hear enough of you two talking. So first question, would you rather spend a week in the forest or one night in a real haunted house. All right. Um, fine, I'll start. I'll start. I mean, I would rather go for it. I would rather spend a week in the forest because 
you know, I think that, um, one, I don't believe in ghosts. So I'd already feel like, well, this is sort of already sketchy. And I, I'm, I'm actually very into nature and being in nature now. Um, and it's a week to detach. So, I mean, I just feel like I could do a lot more in the forest for a week than I could do as an empty house with ghosts that don't really exist. So that's what I do. Dude, your door is opening behind you. Is anyone home? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I saw what you did. What, what, what's... You walked right into that one. Chewy. What's funny is uh, I, I've, uh, my wife and I have actually spent a night in a haunted B&B in Mississippi, and it was creepy. But uh, um, if I had my druthers, I would. You know, I like camping, so I'd probably uh, side with OK on this one and be in the forest for a week. Chewie, hold on a second. So you went to this haunted house. If somebody had not told you that it was haunted, would it was it still creepy or was it because you knew it was haunted that um, it was creepy? So we did not know that it was supposedly haunted. And when we were having breakfast, because all sorts of weird shit happened during the night. And um, and, and I... And it has nothing to do with my wife and I being together. It was, you know, doors were opening. There were weird <laughs> footsteps, weird sounds, all sorts of stuff. And so, like, we we asked the the owners of the B and B the next day, like, um, is this place supposed to be haunted? They're like, uh, yeah. So, you know, what happened? And it's like, oh yeah. So, yeah, it was weird. <laughs> That's what I would pick. I would stay in the haunted house because I feel like I could just be scared. But like the forest, like there's bugs and shit and like it's cold. <laughs> like those are real. Like a bug, you know, bugs are real, but ghosts aren't real. Like like OK said. So I'm going to the fucking haunted house. You guys have weird logic. I know. I mean, where do, <laughs> hey, 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 Bobby, we're we're not talking yeah, like, we're not talking like naked and afraid week in the forest. Right. I mean, is this. You know, because I don't. You don't know. You, you no. can't assume. No, just it, weak in the forest. That's it. Like, I mean, so uh, to me, I mean, what I'm hearing assume. is go camping yeah. for a week, or stay in a haunted house for one night. And as much I as I despise camping, I think that would actually be more enjoyable because I could, you know, do more things and maybe get to enjoy nature in that way after especially after this conversation it's like shit you only get one time on this ball so why not maybe try camping but i mean i whatever but the point is like i would i would Dude, take you could just stare at the stars man <laughs> stare at the stars and just you know zone out no. i'll snuggle up with oh, okay and we'll oh, go oh, check oh, out oh, stars let's do it let's do it brother let's do it fuck that a week in the forest is absolutely the right answer. Danny is yet again wrong and has the worst opinion on the show. So, uh, Fuck, you guys go camping. I'm not going. <laughs> they don't camp in it. Oh, shit. All right. We're moving. No. Oh, no. Um, all right. We're moving on from that one. I. So second question. Um, would you rather, and this is not like for a day. This is just ongoing for let's call it an extended period of time, one year. Would you rather have a mullet or a perm? Well, I have both at the same time right now because mine is kind of a mullet and it's curly. I'm kidding. Well, I mean, okay, it's like, I I'm going to have I, hair? I, 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 
I don't even think I have the ability to grow a mullet. I don't think I don't think it's even possible. I, I don't even know if I can really grow a hair, but I do know that it, it'd be like hard. If I give it enough time, I could probably pull up a perm. You know, show me my hospital, my OR, and um, you know, pull on my uh, Rick James impersonation. Let your soul go. What did the oh, five fingers say to the hands? Slap. So I'm oh, going to I, 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 Chewy. I think I would look stupid with curly hair. I think I'd have to go with the mullet, but I'm going to, I'm going to end up looking like, you know, dumb and dumber. I, I just, that's, a, that's a terrible, I mean, this really, this is like a Sophie's choice. I mean, this really is like a, a no win situation, but I, I, Oh, it's a win. It's yeah. a win for us looking at you. This is going to be great. Oh, my, my wife yeah. and I did. Ho- I'm going perm. My wife and I did Holland Oats one year for Halloween. I, you know, so I think I had like a permy wig for that. Uh, dude, my friend, uh, he dressed up as Batman and he paid $2,000 for a bat light to be outside of the party that he was going to. And I saw a picture of it. I was like, that's the dopest shit I've ever that's seen. Commitment, man. That's, that's pretty epic. <laughs> but did he have a perm or a mullet? <laughs> See, Danny's just, he's just jotting this stuff down on his little uh, list of things for the hospital to do. Like he wants the Acevedo logo flying in the sky. He's going to walk into his entrance music into the OR. Already. They said it's not allowed. <laughs> We actually have music that Danny goes to the OR with. Bobby, do you have that pulled up? Can you play Danny's theme music when he walks into the OR? No. With the real mariachi band. The real mariachi band, okay? Can you imagine if you had like a... Oh, man, no. no. I'm expecting some, some, I don't know, man, some gay-stumping, like... Hip hop from the no. south or something. <laughs> Chain smokers or I actually or something oh, you like can... that. Okay, I actually want I want for you outside your OR those dudes that like put the coffins on their shoulders in the Nigerian guys. That music, I want that oh, song just, for you. Just wait, just wait for it, man. You know, I get you some Nigerian tunes. Get your Nigerian outfit and um, let's do a few dances, man. They're pretty tough to learn, dude. I say we do it. Next meeting we're at, we should rock this done out, done. all of us. So, which should probably be like ASCS. <laughs> oh, are we going to like the Sheikis or something? What, uh... Yeah, oh. they're like the cloth caftans, you know. And it's oh, like, okay. yeah. cool. I don't wear, it. I don't wear it all the time. I mean, I probably wear it like once every couple of years just to, you know, remember. But they're cool, like nice long overall with some. They're very clean looking. Uh, but nice. they're, you know, they're, they're almost kind of like rules with nice fabrics, mm-hmm. um, not too heavy. So Sweet. I'll make it happen. All right. I'm in. All right, guys. Well, thanks for coming right. on. We've been on for like two hours now. <laughs> we got to call it quit. Yeah, oh, shit. Even done, Danny. You told me, I, to, I you told me to end it. He does that every no, I didn't. week. That's hilarious. <laughs> every week. All right, oh my! Go. This, this guy just—he just wants to leave wow. this show so badly. It's ridiculous. Um, no, I got—I got one more, and then we're going to wrap it up. But this is the uh, the ongoing debate. Um, clearly, oh, yeah, OK yeah. has want, never so listened what, to the show the right since he hasn't heard of Mariachi. So, what was the right answer? Oh, the right actually—the right answer 
to that last one, you guys both got it right because, okay, you could only pull off the perm and Chewy, you could only pull off the mullet. So I had that in the back of my mind the whole time and you guys nailed it. Um, That's right. I love it. So, uh, so this is the ongoing debate uh, that we need a large sample size Mm -hmm. to help settle. So the question is, would you rather fight 100 duck sized horses or one horse-sized duck? And there is a right answer. No, there is not. Well, <laughs> I'm right. You're wrong. I'd definitely rather fight the horse-sized duck because violence depends on aggression. And aggression does not depend on size. If aggression depends on size, I'd be a very aggressive person. So if you get a duck that's the size of a horse, you're just going to have a very big duck that is still not aggressive. You have a hundred little ducks that are like horses, which are probably a bit more aggressive than ducks. And now you have a hundred aggressive little things coming at you. Or you can just have a piece <laughs> with a very big duck. So what, what he said, <laughs> I told you what, what he said, we've had this conversation like six times and you've never brought up you that point before. My head, but the whole point was I want the fucking giant, Giant horse duck. Yeah, I'm fine with that. I'll fuck up that big duck. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would say, you know, I would feel like a bully fighting off a hundred little tiny, that's, that's tiny things. That's and I, I, it's just, I can't, <laughs> it's not, a, it's not my nature. Whereas, you know, I'd try and get on the back of that horse sized duck and choke the motherfucker out. Yeah. Yes. And, and Wait, unless, so it's, a, unless it's gentle, like uh, OK suggests. But I think of the foie gras, how good that has to be and how much you'd get. More than, more than my <laughs> system could tolerate. Exactly. Well, that's for sure. That's for So as per usual, um, all the uh, highly educated physicians uh, on the show got the answer wrong because that is incorrect. Um, you want to... <laughs> duck-sized horses and you no, want to bully majority, them to get them out of the way i feel right? like the majority of people we ask all want to fight the big ass duck yeah just because you're wrong Bobby. you guys have fun i will be i will be enjoying my time the after defeating like these tiny ass like little clumsy, little horses you know? and, then those and flippers, just my life. you get a certain size those flippers just cannot hold the duck balance that duck is just in and ready to get slaughtered man <laughs> <laughs> just, just, or you could just be friends with it. I don't know. Just, just don't think know. of all the down you could get, man. You could make like Canada goose jackets for days. <laughs> oh yeah, God. we win. All right. The, we'll, we'll do it on a different episode the Montclair coat or the Canada goose. But we won't get into that right now. That's too, that, that is a debate. For, and Dirk uh, is considered red meat, right? It's a white. Oh. It's white meat. It's like it's like pork. No, it's it's, it's still it's poultry. Right. Yeah. Anyway. But Danny didn't know that a duck could fly. So that Damn, you know, really they don't they didn't ask the special on the OITE Sharif. Well, no, that was the one percentile. He could have had a hundredth percentile, but he missed the duck flying question. The comparative anatomy question. Boys. Again, thank you so much for coming on and opening up and talking about something that is very difficult. I know um, you guys have really embraced it well, and I think in some weird way, you're both better off for it. Unfortunately, you had to go through it. And we, 
I, I'll speak for myself, but uh, I'm blessed to know you, to consider you both friends and colleagues, and to uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys up close and personal. I'll give you guys each a hug and, and share a glass of something with you. Well, hopefully, I see um, some of you or all of you next week at the academy. And um, I thank you so much for coming here. And um, and Shuya, I'm sorry what you went through what you went through, but um, I'm so happy to see you doing well, man. And I feel like we. Um, in a way, we, we will have a bond because of that, because um, I think we both we both have gotten a little close to the other side. Likewise, my friend. I appreciate yeah. that. All right, boys. Until next time, I can't wait to see you both. Later, guys. Take care, guys. Good night. Thanks. Well, that was that was a really good show. That's probably going to be my new favorite. You know, I'm no just knowing the both of those guys, and you know, it was, it was pretty moving. So I hope a lot of listeners learned some uh, stuff uh, today. I know that as we joked at the beginning about you know if you learn something, it's by accident. That one, I I learned a ton. I mean, just a little. And and you know what the sad part is? It's the stuff that we learned today is so obvious. You know, be good to those around you. Be good to those that take care of you. Take your time, you know, think about what you do. Choose wisely. I mean, these are all things we've grown up. It's what we tell our kids. Yet somewhere as we get older and we try to achieve goals, we forget these things. And these guys really put it into perspective of, you know, just just take it day by day and do what's right. Be good. Be humble. Be moral. And that's it. So... Um, we won't get too, you know, jokey here. We'll just say, we'll see you next week. Find us where you find your socials, find us where you find your podcasts and can't wait to see you guys next week. Peace. Later on guys. Cuff daddy signing out. Trying to get a lot of dough. Anything is possible. Turn me up in the headphone. Yeah. Trying to get a lot of dough and dirt the water obstacles, cause anything is possible. Yeah. Oh man, I got a lot of gold. Stack that bread and buy my nose. Anything is possible. Yeah. Trying to get a lot of dough and dirt the water obstacles, cause anything is possible. Oh man, I got a lot of gold. Stack that bread and buy my nose. Anything is possible. The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent.